Well, we are in a series here at Hope on the book of Isaiah, and we've come to Isaiah 53, which is, you heard, is an incredibly powerful passage about a servant of the Lord who will suffer and die. He will bear the sins of many, who is this servant of the Lord. We begin our journey towards uh, the cross and the resurrection this week, and uh, it's you just consider what an amazing turn of events would, would happen during that week as the shouts of Hosanna on Palm Sunday quickly turned to crucify on Good Friday. Uh, Drew Freed and I had the great uh, joy of going to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. about three weeks ago. We had a great time, and if you've never been, I would encourage you to go. The museum brings the Bible to life. And they have a, a brand new exhibit there, it's going on right now, on the Shroud of Turin. I don't know if you've ever heard much about the Shroud. We didn't really know a lot about it, but we went to the exhibit to check it out. And uh, there were just some amazing things to look at there as we were going through the, the displays. One, what I thought was pretty wild, the Shroud of Turin COVID face mask. We can put that up. So, uh, you know, you need a little extra protection from COVID-19. You just need to breathe through the shroud, you know, a <laughs> little extra protection there. I don't know. That's kind of crazy. I don't, I don't know what to think about that. But it was there as part of the display, you know. But um, to be honest, I was not ready for the power of this exhibit. Uh, the Shroud of Turin, as you see, I'm going to put up the next slide. There's the shroud. Uh, it's an old linen cloth that bears the image of a man who has died by crucifixion. And some people say, that's the burial cloth of Jesus. And, and we really don't know. There's a lot of mystery there. And the exhibit doesn't answer that mystery, but it provides an opportunity for you to explore it a little bit further. Um, but what, what I learned, and what we learned, was that the wounds and bloodstains on this crucified man match exactly the wounds of Jesus. And you go into the exhibit, and at the very center, they have a table. And, and on the table, there is a, a full-length shroud. And it's one of those touch tables, so you can go and you can touch the wounds. You touch where the hands were pierced, and it, it'll read a scripture for you where it describes in the Bible where Jesus suffered in that way. You touch the blood stain from the crown of thorns, and it'll, it'll read the scripture that describes when they put the crown on his head. It was incredibly sobering to hear how Jesus had suffered for me and for us. And maybe you've been through a Stations of the Cross or something like that, and today's going to be a little bit like that as we look at the sufferings of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 tells us about a servant who has suffered. We ask, who is this servant? We learned a couple of weeks ago this servant, this mysterious servant of the Lord, appears four times in the book of Isaiah. And there are four prophecies of the servant in what are called four servant songs. And you can see the references. And I'd encourage you to read some of these. Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and the famous Isaiah 53. A servant will be a future figure, a Messiah who will come to Zion and bring salvation to the world. We saw two weeks ago 
in Isaiah 42, that servant is Jesus. And it's no different when we come to Isaiah 53. As we heard that passage read, your mind goes to Jesus, doesn't it? And of course, Isaiah 53 gets quoted seven times in the New Testament directly, and there are you know, some 85 allusions and echoes of Isaiah 53 within the New Testament, and they all find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. A couple of examples here. Acts 8, Philip the evangelist is going down the road, and he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch who's reading from Isaiah 53, and uh, Philip pulls over in his chariot SUV, and uh, he, he hears the, the Ethiopian eunuch reading about the suffering servant, and, and the eunuch asks Philip, he goes, who is, this, who is this passage talking about, Isaiah 53? And then it says, Philip, beginning with that very passage of Scripture, told him the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus, on his way to the cross, quotes Isaiah 53 in Luke 22 and says, This scripture must be fulfilled in me. See, Isaiah predicts it, and Jesus fulfills it 700 years later. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is who he says he is. And I just want you to think as we've gone through this series about some of the prophecies of Isaiah that have fulfilled in Jesus just so far. Look at these. He'll be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7. He will be God incarnate. Remember, uh, to us a child will be born, to us a son will be given. He, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. El Gabor, the Mighty God. So we have uh, even just the fact that Jesus will be God incarnate in Isaiah 6. He'll descend from King David, Isaiah 11. He'll be preceded by a forerunner, Isaiah 40, which John the Baptist. He will have the Holy Spirit rest on him. He'll have a public ministry in Galilee. He will heal people. He will have a name in which the nations put their hope. It's all right there in the book of Isaiah. And when you consider that Isaiah writes this 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, it blows your mind, right? I mean, this is incredible. These are not coincidences here. These are evidences that Jesus is, in fact, Israel's Messiah and the Savior of the world. Jesus has come. And Isaiah talks so much about Jesus that the book of Isaiah has been called a fifth gospel. Steve talked about the beauty of those who share the gospel, who bring good news. Just last week, and there is no, there is no greater, uh, there, no, there's not a light that shines brighter on the good news than right here in Isaiah 53. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ that we're going to look at today. So Isaiah now prophesies about a servant of the Lord who in bearing our sins will suffer and die. And you heard some of the details. We're talking about, about him being disfigured beyond human likeness, pierced through, crushed, wounded. It's all in there. Isaiah gives us the graphic yet glorious picture of the suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he endured for me and for you. Of all the prophecies 
in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 rises above the rest. And he's talking about the cross 700 years before Jesus goes to the cross. It's almost as if Isaiah is standing at the foot of the cross and looking up at Jesus as he's being crucified. So what can we learn about Jesus today as we gaze on this suffering servant of Isaiah 53? So uh, I I do want to pray. We already read the scripture, but we'll pray. We'll dive in. I've got three things we can learn about Jesus from this passage. So Jesus, we thank you that you are Lord and King, and you came just like you said you would. You brought salvation. And we thank you, God, for going to the cross for our sins. And I pray that I pray that this passage would hit us in a powerful way this morning. I pray that as we, as we read the words of God, that we would touch the wounds of Jesus, that we would see how much you love us, that you would suffer for our sins. Help us to know the beautiful salvation that's come in Jesus Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're looking at the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. Uh, Three things we can learn about Jesus as we gaze on the suffering servant. Number one, the servant can startle us. Startling picture here, the startling sufferings of Jesus Christ. Of course, when we think about God sending the servant of the Lord, like gets our expectation up. We get excited. We think of marvelous things. But of course, Isaiah starts with the greatness of Jesus Christ. And I'm glad he does because it gets pretty intense. But he starts out, of course, with the greatness of Jesus. Isaiah 52, 13. And I want to put this in the more literal word-for-word ESV translation. It says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. And that word can, some of you might say, my servant will prosper. So wisdom brings success. Servant is going to succeed. And then look at this. He will be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. The servant will be exalted. Notice the words high and lifted up. Where have we heard those words in the book of Isaiah before? He will be high and lifted up. You guys remember? Those words high and lifted up show up three times in the book of Isaiah. The first occurrence is on Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6.1, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, what? High and lifted up. Isn't that interesting? High and lifted up refers to God. Isaiah 57.15 is the second occurrence. It says, thus says the Holy One who is high and lifted up. Isn't that interesting? Once again, high and lifted up refers to God himself. And it always does in the book of Isaiah. And here, Isaiah says of the servant, he will be high and lifted up. He will be highly exalted. Who is this servant? I just want to tell, let's just declare it right off the top. When this servant comes, before any of the suffering, and we're going to get to that, he will be successful. He will succeed. He will not fail. Right before... Even in your own life, as you think about it, like Jesus did not fail in going to the cross. He will not fail you. Let's just declare that right off the top. But no wonder, right? There there is a servant coming. He will be high and exalted. So no wonder the Jewish people have nothing but the highest expectations for the coming of the Messiah. And that's Palm Sunday. It's like, Hosanna, come on, like, he's coming to succeed. Right? The, the servant, he's here. He's going to cast off Roman oppression. Like, 
Right, this is going to be the ushering in of the new kingdom. Yes, praise the Lord. And the Bible says that party lasts about eight seconds. Because Jesus begins startling people by predicting that he will go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And when Peter hears that, he's like, no, Lord. He, he says, that will never happen to you. He didn't believe it. And Jesus looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to a cross for you. People would have been stunned by the, by the idea that the Messiah would come. And he would suffer and die. Isaiah uses the word appalled. Isaiah 52, 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured. Beyond that of any human being. Think about that. And his form marred beyond human likeness. What does it take to have your appearance disfigured beyond that of any human being? Have you ever seen a picture of somebody who's been beaten up in a violent attack? Their face is swollen, blue, bruised, bloody, disfigured. Isaiah says, that's going to happen to the servant. And after Jesus' trial, soldiers lead him out. And they begin to beat him. They begin to mar and disfigure the innocent son of God. Mark 14, 65. And some began to spit at him blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Another gospel says, soldier grabbed a stick and began hitting him over the head. They marred the appearance of Jesus beyond any human life. Like an object of horror, he no longer looks like a man. I imagine the crown of thorns pressed down on his head and the blood flowing down his face. Why? Why did this happen? Back to Isaiah 52:15. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. What they have not heard, they will understand. This is amazing. Nations and kings who've never heard about the servant of the Lord will suddenly hear. And they'll shut their mouths. They won't know what to say. Because they finally see and understand who the servant is and what he has done. And they realize that his 
Blood was shed for the sprinkling of many nations. Now, sprinkling in the Bible has, has two functions. Number one, it could be for a cleansing from sin. Sprinkling removes the sin. Or it could be a consecration to the Lord. So what Isaiah is saying here is that because of the sprinkling blood of this servant, that people's sins will be forgiven and they will be brought, they will be consecrated to the Lord. And that will happen to kings and nations, which in fact does happen. And even in uh, Romans 15, Paul, as he preaches the gospel, says this passage is being fulfilled. People who've never heard are now hearing. And they're responding in astonishment at what the servant has done. The servant shocks the world. Who will believe it? Isaiah 53, 1 through 3. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Have you believed? In Jesus today? Has the power of God been revealed to you in the suffering of Jesus Christ? Isaiah begins to describe the servant in more detail in verse 2. It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like out of a root, out of dry ground. So if you've been through this series in Isaiah with us, you'll remember that Jesus is the root of Jesse, the branch, that's Isaiah 11. Here it says he grew up before him. He's growing up before God in the presence of God. I'm praying that for our kids too, like a tender shoot. <clears throat> What's a shoot? A shoot is something so small you, you just miss it. And when Jesus came to the world, the world didn't even notice. He was born in a stable, raised in obscurity. He grew up in the town of Nazareth. People would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? When Jesus began his ministry and he returns to his hometown of Nazareth and starts doing miracles, you remember? People said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Who is this guy? Like a tender sheep. Now look in you. and just might He goes on, noting his appearance. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. There's nothing in Jesus' appearance that would catch anyone's attention. Like, he didn't glow. Just, we'll start there. You know that light? It's kind of behind the head of Jesus that follows him. At, like, that wasn't there. You know, kind of the, the beautiful feathered hair? Nope. Taller, stronger. Nope. There's nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In his appearance, Jesus was just a man. A man. An ordinary human being. And just like any of us, Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to feel pain. He'd been through it. He walked through it. In fact, it says, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. Yeah, pain in your heart this morning. You can come to Jesus. 
a man of sorrows, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. We held him in low esteem. How many people missed Jesus then? He came to his own. His own knew him not. How many people miss Jesus today? World around us esteems Jesus not. Don't let that be you. Jesus is too important. He matters too much. What he did matters to your life. Don't miss it. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Has he revealed himself to you? Do you know Jesus Christ? Where does faith start? It starts right here, this first point. Servant of the Lord can startle us. Have you been startled by the sufferings of Jesus Christ? Haitians and kings shut their mouths in astonishment at what he's done. Let's just start there with remembering what Jesus went through. Servant can startle us. Number two, the servant suffers for us. We now come to one of the most treasured passages, not just in the Old Testament, but in the entire Bible. It's a passage that we hold in our hearts for a couple of reasons. Number one, Isaiah begins to add now some prophetic details about what Jesus will suffer. Prophetic details on how the servant will suffer. So go ahead and put up the next verse on the screen. And I uh, wanted to highlight some verses there for, or some words for you. So take a look at those, those words that are, what is it, underlined? Yeah, take a look at those underlined words. Isaiah prophesies here that the servant will appear to be punished. And how will this punishment come? It will come through being pierced, crushed, and wounded. You guys see that? Punished, pierced, crushed, and wounded. And when Jesus dies, he goes to a cross. And the Romans in Jesus' day used crucifixion as a heinous form of punishment. You remember Jesus is crucified between two criminals. And the Romans used the cross as a way of punishing criminals. And what they would do is a person would be nailed to a large wooden cross and they would hang until they died. In the same way, when Jesus arrives at the cross, a Roman soldier would have taken iron spikes and with a hammer would have driven those spikes through the wrist of Jesus into the wood of the cross. If you just squeeze right there, it's pretty sensitive. And then the soldier would have taken the iron spike and he would have driven it with a hammer through the other wrist. And then another and would have driven the nail into the feet of Jesus, into the wooden post. And they raised Jesus up to hang. Isn't it interesting? Isaiah says Jesus will be pierced through for our transgressions. There are many ways to die. There are many forms of capital punishment. But isn't it interesting that 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah specifically mentions piercing. And, and can I just note that when Isaiah writes that 700 years before Jesus, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. And yet, 
Isaiah says when the servant comes, he will be pierced for our transgressions. That's amazing. Crucifixion hasn't even been invented. Well, the piercing of Jesus would have been excruciatingly painful. But it wasn't necessarily the piercing that ended Jesus' life. Crucifixion is a death by asphyxiation. What does that mean? That means that people can't breathe, right? And, and a person would die on the cross because their body weight would, would come down and, and have a crushing effect on their lungs. Literally slowly suffocate to death. It's the piercing, the crushing, suffocating, and then it says wounding. And we all know Jesus went to the cross and he was already bleeding and dying. His back would have been covered with the scores of bleeding whip wounds from the Roman scourging. Some translations even say, by his stripes we were healed. Jesus went to the cross. He suffered. He bled. He died. He took a punishment that he didn't deserve. A why? So this passage is special, not only because we hear how the servant suffers, but we hear why the servant suffers. I'll read these verses and just consider how the servant may have suffered for you. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. says, Surely he took our pain, took our pain, and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The servant suffered. He was punished. Punished for sin. But when Jesus hung on that cross, when he died next to two criminals, did he have any sin? Had he done anything wrong? Absolutely not. He was the innocent son of God. Our sin put him there. My sin put him there. He suffered because of our sin. It says, this is a great scripture. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone astray. We've all sinned. That's every one of us. And you might think, oh, I'm a pretty good person. Well, you know, you can drown in 50 feet of water. You can also drown in 10 feet of water. We're all drowning in sin. We all sin, every one of us. And what is sin? I think we have a great definition of sin here. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've all gone our own way. We've, uh, it, it's that independence of God. That's the essence of sin. I'll do it my way. I'll be the king of my life. I'll decide. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, and in the end, it leads to death. That choice, which began back in the Garden of Eden, of independence from God, let's go our own way, has brought tremendous consequences 
to our life. It's ushered in a process of death, both physical death and spiritual death, spiritual separation from God. We're no longer connected to life and the life of God. But look at this, hallelujah. It says, the Lord has laid on him, the servant, the iniquity of us all. The innocent son of God took the death we deserved. Right? He went to the cross. He bore our sin. He took on our punishment. He was our substitute. So that through his death and resurrection, by faith in Jesus Christ, he can even say to the thief next to him, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, through faith in him, today you can have eternal life. Today your sins can be forgiven. Today you can have a life-giving relationship with God, brand new. How wonderful is the gospel? Jesus took our place. He's our substitute for us. It's a, a great story of a a nine-year-old boy named Mark. And the mother of this nine-year-old boy named Mark received a phone call in the middle of the school week from his teacher. And if you've ever been a parent and received a phone call from your teacher in the middle of the week, kind of a scary call, right? And uh, the teacher said, Mrs. Smith, I'm calling you because something unusual happened today. Your son did something that surprised me so much, I had to tell you about it immediately. When mom heard that, she began to grow worried. The teacher continued, nothing like this has happened in all my years of teaching. This morning I was teaching a lesson on creative writing. And as I always do, I tell the story of the ant and the grasshopper. And uh, the ant works hard all summer, stores up lots of food. The grasshopper, of course, plays all summer, doesn't do any work, and then when winter comes, is hungry. And... uh, so it, the, uh, the grasshopper begins to, to beg the ant, please, Mr. Ant, can I have some food? Can I eat too? So as the teacher's telling the parent, he says there's this creative writing assignment and it's the student's job to write the ending of the story. What happens with the ant and the grasshopper? And she says, most students say the ant shared his food with the grasshopper and both the ant and the grasshopper lived. A few children write, the ant says to the grasshopper, no, go get your own food. And the ant lives, and the grasshopper dies. Well, the teacher says, your son Mark wrote, and she said, I never heard this before. The ant gave all of his food to the grasshopper. And the grasshopper lived through the winter but the ant died. And then below that, he drew three crosses. That's what Jesus has done for us. He let go of everything. And he died so that we could live. Isaiah shares some final details about the death of the servant. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. 
yet who of his generation protested? And this, this matches exactly with what we read in the Gospels about the story of Jesus. He's arrested after being betrayed by Judas. He finds himself in a trial. And people are saying all kinds of false things about Jesus, but Jesus doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't say anything. Have you nothing to say? Pilate would ask. Isaiah goes on, he was cut off from the land of the living. A servant dies. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus died not for any sin of his own. And just look how supernatural this is. Look at verse 9. There's a prophecy here that the servant will die with the wicked, but he'll be buried with the rich. And isn't that just exactly what happens with Jesus? He dies next to two criminals on the cross. And then after he dies, after he's cut off from the land of the living, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate and says, Hey, Pilate, I'd like to bury Jesus in my tomb. And Jesus is buried in the tomb of a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea. And you could say, you know, Jesus is trying to intentionally fulfill these prophecies, but once Jesus died, he had no control. And even Pilate, who thought he had control of where the body was go, was just fulfilling the word that God had spoken 700 years earlier. See, Jesus is who he said he is. Amazing. The servant startles us, number one. The servant suffers for us. Last one, servant sees his reward. This story's not over, not even close. And we're just getting started. You got to come back next Sunday. Guys, Isaiah 53 prophesies of a resurrection of the servant. Crazy. But you got to see it for yourself. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12 it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, there's that idea there that Jesus is the offering for our sin. His blood pays the price for our sin. He's an, an offering, the substitutionary atonement, the theological term. He's going to be a guilt offering. But check this out. He will what? What will the servant? He will, he will see... Crazy, his offspring, and prolong his days. His life was cut off, but now he sees his offspring and prolongs his days. The servant will live again, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, he'll see the light of life. Unbelievable, and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous Servant will justify many. He'll bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong. Like Jesus is winning the victory here because he poured out his life unto death, was numbered with the transgressors. He has borne the sin of many and made intercessors for the transgressors. That Jesus is alive. He is the living one. He was dead. He lives forevermore. Hallelujah. And as we saw at the beginning of the... Chapter 52, the servant will be raised, lifted up, highly exalted above all things. Come on. 
The servant who suffered and died, look at what it says, will see his offspring and prolong his days. Who are his offspring? Hello, it's me and you. We are, right? We are the reward of the suffering of the Lamb. The transformation that's taken place in your life, that is the Lamb's reward. He sees it and is satisfied. Come on. Right? When that's you and me, it's the billions of people who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And when Jesus taught us to pray as his followers, he's, he said, when you pray, say, our Father. That's a new relationship with God through faith in Christ. See, every time someone comes to Jesus Christ, the servant sees his reward. Right? Even the angels in heaven rejoice, Jesus said, when just one sinner repents. And it's our prayer here in this community Right, that the gospel would go out, that we talked about, the beautiful feet, good news, going out, and more and more people in our community would come to know Jesus Christ so the lamb would receive the reward of his suffering. It's an amazing truth. But look at this last one, and, and I'll end with this. My servant will justify many. You guys see that there? He will bear their iniquities. He will justify many. What is justification? It's a big word. It, it takes us into the law court where God, as the judge, pronounces the believing sinner not guilty, righteous, fully accepted, justified just as if you never sinned. That's the truth about our life through Jesus Christ. We stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not only is our sin forgiven, we've received Christ's righteousness. Come on. So today, because of the work of the servant, we are fully accepted and loved by God. We are holy and blameless in his sight. Justification. Servant sees his reward. I'm excited about this week. You guys know... Remember, Good Friday is always followed by Easter Sunday. So we got Good Friday, we got Easter Sunday, and I hope you'll invite your friends. We want to invite our family members, our loved ones, so that the Lamb can receive the reward of his suffering. But how incredible is Isaiah 53? Let's just put those up again. The servant can startle us, suffers for us, he sees his reward. And uh, it's an amazing passage, isn't it? Literally see Jesus in every detail. That's why it, almost 11.15. Man, every detail speaks about Jesus. 700 years before Christ, guys, Isaiah predicted it. Jesus fulfills it. This is the God we can trust. Let me pray. We'll close with our song. God, thank you for, thank you for what you've done. Almost couldn't believe. Couldn't believe it. But you said it 700 years before it happened. And I pray that this week as we go into this season of remembering the cross and the resurrection, Isaiah 53 would be like the stations of the cross. That we would remember your suffering, your death, and your glorious resurrection and how it's changed everything in our life. It can change everything in this world, and it will. Because Jesus will be victorious, and he will not fail. And he will reign as king over all things, over heaven and earth. We look forward to that day. God, if there's anyone here who hasn't put their trust in Jesus Christ,
pray that even right now, they would call in the name of the Lord and be saved. God, do a work of, of transformation, not only in our hearts, but in this city. And would you use us to be messengers of the good news? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.